0: folks, this is the ED ECMO podcast. My name is Scott Weingart. I'm here with Joe Belezzo. Zach Shiner is somewhere sleeping, and this is the source for all things resuscitative ECMO. How you doing, Joe?
1: Doing great. Thanks, Scott.
0: All right. So uh, you and Zach already discussed the three stages of eCPR initiation, but it was a broad overview. I think what we want to do on this episode is take people through excruciating detail, on each of these three stages, we're talking cognitive task analysis, breaking it down into the most minute details, where your hands sit and how you're doing it. Are you okay with that, my friend?
1: I'm going to have to be aren't it. All
0: right. So stage one is the placement of smaller cannulas in the femoral artery and femoral vein. Why don't we start there?
1: Sure. So stage one is exactly the same as, as how you already place your, your, your central lines. And so how you do that, however you do that is fine. The way that I do it is that we, well, we do it under ultrasound guidance. So I've got linear array ultrasound probe in my left hand. You know, usually chest compressions are going on and using my right hand, I'm usually trying to access the right groin uh, for both the artery and the vein. I try to get into both on the same side and that there's a number of reasons behind that. And most of us are comfortable with that when most of us are right handed and just as an aside, we've also had the medics, when the medics come in, they deliver the patient now, instead of coming in on the, pa- on the left side of the gurney as they're going into the room, we deliver them on the right, that way the second doctor can be in the room, gowned up, ultrasound probe in hand, needle in the other hand, and as soon as that patient transports from the right side of the gurney when you're looking into the room, transports over to the left, I immediately have one of the HCPs, well, we call them HCPs, but uh, techs. Just grab the pants and pull them down, and then I'm already in the groin. I'm already going for a vessel. This, I'm assuming this is a patient who's got ongoing CPR.
0: Absolutely. Now, let's stop there for a second. And, sure. and we're, we're going to take this outside your hospital, Joe, so there won't be any issues or problems. Let's pretend you were practicing at Janus General for a second. Sure. And so let's talk about sterility. Is this full sterile for eCPR initiation during cardiac arrest?
1: It's semi-sterile. What, I, what we do is we just get a big bottle of betadine and just pour it all over the groin and then go.
0: And so you, you said you're gowned up. So you're wearing yep. hat, mask, gown, sterile gloves.
1: Oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Full, fully bonneted, mask, gown, gloves, the whole thing.
0: And the patient is getting a huge full-body drape?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. The drapes that we have go up to about the chest level and then down to about the knees. Um, and it's part of our central line kit. has got a huge drape in it.
0: All right. So, as sterile as possible, with the understanding that if there was a break in sterility, you're not going to stop the ECPR initiation and put on brand new stuff. Is that correct?
1: That's correct.
0: Okay. So we want people to understand that because at this point, the patient living is probably more important than uh, a potential infection. That's correct. Okay. So you're you're going to do now. Let's say, do, do you have a preference? Do you start with the artery or the vein?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, We've said this over and over again, we've talked about this over and over again. The biggest challenge you're going to find in doing this is getting twofold, getting into the artery, especially if pulses have already um, been lost. And then once you get into the artery, cannulating up is more challenging on the arterial side than the venous side. And if you're going blind, invariably you're going to get into the vein. So what we do is do everything we can to get into the artery the very first time. So artery is, is absolutely the most important thing to try and get. It's going to be the hardest thing. It's going to be your biggest barrier. It's going to be the bugaboo. So, <clears throat> um, the very first thing we're doing is trying to get in the artery. And I'm usually doing that on the right side. If I'm lucky enough to have a second doctor, or I should say a third doctor, a second line doctor in the room, uh, we can often have them trying to get into one of the vessels on the contralateral side on the left side.
0: Got it. Okay, so you're going to go for the femoral artery first. So let's yep. uh, gear our discussion to that. Now, yep. one of the key ways to mess this up is to go too distal on the leg for your arterial access. Why is that, Joe? Th-
1: well, that was some feedback that we got from one of our interventional cardiologists, and the thought was that the further distal you go, the better chance you have of getting into the superficial femoral vein, a uh, superficial femoral artery, instead of the common. And there's a, um, if, and anatomically, as that superficial dives down and then turns, that's a point, that's a, that's a, a right hand or an upward turn where these big cannulas can get kinked up and sometimes back wall or go outside the back side of the vessel. So the recommendation at that time was that maybe we should be getting up into the groin higher to uh, more proximal, right along the inguinal ligament in order to have a better success at getting into the common femoral artery.
0: Now, you see the artery on your ultrasound screen. You're mm. in transverse right now and you hit something and you get blood into your syringe and you're really pleased with yourself. Is there any confirmation for whether you're actually in the artery or vein at this point? Or are you just hoping that putting it in the middle of your screen and aiming towards it gets you where you want to go?
1: If you can solve this problem, uh, you, that, this, is the biggest, this is the biggest challenge we have is when, when, when pulses are gone, and you know, able to identify and differentiate the artery from the vein, and then knowing that you're in—it's so damn tough, man. Uh, you know, both vessels, both both the blood returns, both dark. It's it's really tough, and there's not a really good solution to my knowledge right now. If We have a patient who has ongoing CPR, and we've – let's just jump ahead really quick, but we've finished stage one, so we've got two vessels in that were reasonably – two lines into the vessels, and we're reasonably assured that we think that they're in the proper position but not 100% sure. One thing we might do, we don't have the time to be hanging – you know, pressure bags and trying to determine whether or not the, you know, um, getting a manometer out and all that kind of stuff, obviously. I don't think it would help anyway (laughs) uh, during CPR. Well, that's actually true. So uh, what we'll sometimes do is a bubble test. So during CPR, during the the pulse check, we'll have, we already got the ultrasound in your hand. We just have to switch transducers on the machine. Our machine is just a button to switch transducers. Just reach your arm up. Uh, look at the heart. Number one, you're going to see whether or not you have a beating heart. This is during your pulse check. But number two, you can blast a 10 cc syringe of saline into each of the lines. Blast that in while you're looking at the heart. And I'm looking at the heart using a, a peristernal short, is what I usually use peristernal short axis. And then uh, you, when you're looking at the right heart, you'll see this just this snow of uh, you know, this, this just, you know, white out into, right, into the right side of the heart. And then you know that you're in the vein. Again, though, that's just confirming that you're in the vein. Um, that is, there's not a way to confirm that you're in the artery, though. Uh, so th- that's, that's the biggest biggest challenge. Truthfully, we try to do the best we can. If you see two vessels and you know you've got a line in each vessel in the right, uh, you know, the right femoral vessels, um, often <laughs> this is you know a bit embarrassing, but you often don't find out until you get the pump going. And then troubleshooting things and realizing that you're either in both, both, both lines are in
0: the artery or both lines are in the vein. Got it. All right. So that's a potential problem that we will yep. troubleshoot later. Yep. So you now hit your artery. The resuscitation gods have told you in your mind you are in an artery. You place yeah. a wire in. So now you have a wire in the artery. and it's the, For you guys, a five French cordis, um, though really it could be anything that's accessing the artery because this at stage one is just holding place for later on. And so you have a wire in, and now you're going to place your 5 French cordis. Are you making a sizable nick right now, or are you making a nick just big enough for the 5 French cordis?
1: Just big enough.
0: Okay, so the 5 French cordis is in, and you're. I guess we, at this stage we should talk a little bit about dilation, because I think there's a lot of people in emergency medicine that are doing this wrong. When you're passing the 5 French dilator, what is the angle in relation to the vessel. Are you going perpendicular and actually going against your wire or are you actually laying it up against the leg?
1: I, 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 go, I do not go perpendicular. And I think that the problem, we just mentioned this, but the problem there is that you then have a, a 90 degree angle you're, you're gonna get to when you're going to dilate and increase your risk of backwalling that vessel. So laying it down sort of um, more in line with the leg is just gonna be a better technique when it comes down to later on, when you get into these giant cannulas trying to place them when you've got a perpendicular line from the skin down to the vessel is just, it's, it's very, very difficult.
0: So this is a key point to keep in mind. You should always be dilating as parallel as possible to both the vessel and the wire. And this is going to save you so much trouble later on. And this is applicable for everything we do in emergency medicine, because if anyone's even placed the triple lumen and kink their wire This is how it happened: is during the dilation step. Yep, and
1: we've got some uh, tips and tricks that we can get by. If if by chance you got a big 400 pounder, and you you had to go somewhat perpendicular, we've got a couple of tips and tricks we can talk about down the line on how to uh, how to better you know uh, improve your success on getting these big canals in when you've had to go that route. But we'll get to that later.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so now you have a five French dilator in the artery. You're happy with that? Do you now go for the vein? As stage one, or do you start placing the actual stage two on the artery, knowing that it's just going to keep getting smaller and smaller?
1: No, I think that once you're in the vessel and you've got a, you're reasonably sure you've got a good line in that vessel, you're good to go. Uh, I would just cap that off, or you know, uh, put put a line to it. In fact, what 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 we do is we transduce that and look at that on, uh, you know, we make that a, f- a femoral art line, and use that during the course of our resuscitation to manage drug you know, drug delivery and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. So, um, no, we, we use that line. We don't just, uh, we don't just start dilating it up. So that one gets used as an art line while I'm placing in the femoral, um, femoral vein.
0: Brilliant. Okay. So now we've completed stage one, unless there's anything particular to the vein you want to add, Joe.
1: Now it's, uh, we use a nine French cordis, but you can use anything you want. As you just mentioned, this is, these are, these are ultimately going to be conduits. And if, by any chance along the way, patient gets return of return to spontaneous circulation. You can just stop, and then what have you got right now at the end of stage one? You've got a beautiful art line, a beautiful vein line. Usually, you know, at this point you can train change it over to a triple lumen, and patient's golden. Or if you're going if you're into the cooling thing, you know, you can put a cooling catheter down. Um, so you know, you're just doing good critical care right now, and you've done zero harm. Uh, and then you decide whether or not you're going to move on to stage two.
0: Perfect. Okay. So we've decided to go for stage two. The code is still ongoing. Yep. And so now let's start off again with the artery. So essentially you're going to put a wire in here and take out the holding cordis. How deep are you placing this enormous length wire?
1: So your venous line is very long. When your ultimate cannula that you're going to be putting in is very long. So you're going to want an extremely long wire that's going to go all the way up you know, to the region of the right atrial inlet. Uh, in, out the, in the kits we use, and there's a number of different, obviously commercially available kits out there. and We can get into that later as well. But the kits that we happen to use have a wire dilators and a, a stabbing knife and uh, the, the cannulas themselves. And so we already have the wire available to us, but there are a number of you know, wires you can use that are separate. And I will say one thing, the wires that we have in our ECMO cannula kits are really flimsy and most of them are. And I believe that most of them are because they're made for cutdown; They're made to be done in an operating room setting. And so they can pop right into the vessel that they're seeing right in front of their eyes and not going percutaneous. And so these flimsy wires can be challenging. And it's been one of the biggest challenges we've had to dilating and cannulating down the road is this wire kinking and just as you mentioned kinking as it enters the vessel yeah so i'm just taking this gigantic or should say very long but yet flimsy wire that's in these kits passing it into either the five french or the nine french gets passed all the way up and then those cannules come out well let's stop
0: let's stop for a second joe so let's just deal with the artery first so you're going Mm -hmm. through your five french how deep are you going to go with that wire how much wire are you putting in before you take out the cordis
1: so the wire has to go in deep enough that is going to extend beyond the end or the tip of the uh, venous or arterial ecmo cannula you're going to put in, but not too deep. And when I say not too deep, the way that we do it is a, is, is a rough estimation or an eyeball, and, you know, you can see that you're putting in a line in the venous side, and you're going to cannulate up the venous side. So you need to be up to about the right atrial inlet, but not much further. You go further than that, it's going to pass into the SVC or into the right atrium, and then also as you're, as the wires further in, you're, going to have, you're not going to have enough lead wire on the back of the uh, cannula in order to take that entire cannula back or the dilators back out. So I usually put these wires about halfway in, and ultimately by eyeball what that ends up being is the tip of the wire roughly on the venous side, roughly in the right atrial inlet, and on the arterial side somewhere mid-aortic, because then you're going to be beyond where you're ultimately going to have the tip of the aortic or the, uh, the arterial line.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so now the wire is in. And now you're going to take out the cordis. And now I believe that you and Zach are nick men, right? You make yep. a cut. So how big a cut are you making at this point?
1: You cannot pass these big cannulas without making a big cut. I've, we've, we've well, done it every- we'll
0: talk about that <laughs> um, because the Alfred folks will disagree with you. But I know you guys do like the cut. So how big a cut are you making?
1: I'm making about a two about a two centimeter cut. It's big. These lines are big and it's big. And we get hung up when we're passing these big, we're going to take a step ahead, but as we're passing the bigger cannulas in, we get hung up on fascia that's down below. And so we make a big stab and I hub, you know, they get these little thumb sized, uh, knife, uh, uh, blades that come in these kits there. You can hold them between your, your thumb and your index finger. And it's probably how long are those knives? They're probably the blade tip is probably in a centimeter and a half long. And I hub that all the way down and then pull it all the way up. And you're not going to get into the vessel at that point. The vessel is still deeper than that.
0: And another way to avoid getting into the vessel is you actually want to keep mostly parallel. You don't want to, again, do perpendicular. You want to go along the wire. So you follow the path of the wire, and then that's going to... Hopefully, keep you away from the vessel.
1: In in the experience that we've had, most of these patients are pretty heavy, and you with that little knife that you, you take any knife. You take your uh, you know a, a regular knife that you uh, an eleven blade that you have in a kit. You can seriously, unless you've got a tiny little thin patient, which these patients don't ever seem to be, uh, you can hub that thing, and you're not uh, you're not going to get into the vessel. The vessel's deeper than that. Period.
0: Absolutely agree. And are you making a cruciate incision, Joe, or are you just going with one direction?
1: No, I go uh, longitudinal. I go in line with the wire. We do not do a cruciate cut, no.
0: Got it. Okay. So now you got a great big cut in there. Bleeding is probably going to start. Are you going to mm-hmm. ignore it at this point or do you do anything about it? Ignore it. Okay. Fair enough. So now you got a wire in there. You got your big cut. And now you're going to mm-hmm. grab your first dilator. Uh, do you just go right down the line, or do you have some kind of pathway for which one you grab first? Is it uh, going to be you know different for the artery and vein because you're going from five French uh, and the other one you're going with a bigger French cordis? How are you picking your dilator? The Each kit
1: has serial dilators within the kit. And uh, if I recall now, the venous, I think, has three dilators and the arterial has two. And the last dilator in the venous kit is a is a very big fat dilator. And that last dilator is, um, and I don't honestly know the caliber of that last dilator that's in our kit, but it's pretty big and it's very stiff. And so that's kind of a crucial point. If you can get that last dilator in, your chances of getting and put it in, so you're gonna pass it over the wire, into the vessel and then pull it back out. The your, your chances of getting in with the, with, the, um, with the ECMO cannulas are a lot better. That last dilator seems to be the, the, the telltale as to whether or not you're going to successfully get in.
0: Fair enough. Now, let's talk about this dilation. In an ideal world, in the best of all worlds, there'd be someone manning the end of your wire. You would just, say, facing the vessel, they would put the dilator on the back of the wire, pass it to you, and then you'd be able to do your dilation. But it sounds like most of the time you don't have that luxury. Is that true, Joe?
1: Not well in our in our shop we've got a lot of docs sitting around and there's usually a lot of spectators uh, in these in these in these cases. so I actually usually do have an extra set of hands that are sterile um, and sometimes what we'll do this is again jumping aside for a moment, but we have a, a very active and very uh, strong, um, a relationship with our trauma surgeons, they're happy to come down and just be, they'll, they'll come down and they'll just be assistants, and all they do is hold wire for you and pass the big cannulas over and pass them down to you. So it, it's kind of a luxury that we have. You can, Zach proved this the other day, you can do this on your own, fully draped patient wires out on the patient's bed on their, on their lap. And you can do this all yourself, but its you're right. You're absolutely right. It's nice to have an extra set of hands passing these to you.
0: Let's talk about it as if you had a helper. So that's going to make our discussion a little bit easier. So they put that first dilator on. It's on the wire. They pass it up to you. You're doing your dilation now. Now, for me, it's key to—we already talked about the angle, but also to be exceedingly gentle. And I use a twisting motion. And the key that was taught to me, beaten into me, is that throughout the dilation, I'm gently moving my wire in and out to make sure that it is still unkinked. What are your tips for this portion, Joe?
1: Those are – man, you just beat me to the punch. Uh, those are the absolute necessities. You, you, it's exactly right. So um, just as you just said, I do the exact same thing. I have, and remember that as you're dilating, this gets really bloody, and yeah, you're going to kind of ignore it, but I usually have a big stack of 4x4s in my left hand, which is right over the wire, so my left hand has a stack of 4x4s over the wire, just to try to inhibit you know, just pure hemorrhage, while my right hand is passing the dilator up, and then when you get the tip of the dilator down through skin, you're going to feel a little bit of a of a nudge as you're passing over the fascia or through the fascia. And sometimes it'll get hung up there and a little twisting motion there is good. And then when you get down to the vessel, there's that, again, that, that, 30, 40, 50 degree turn from the angle that you've gone in into the vessel and that's a key point. You don't want a back wall there. And so you're going to go very carefully with a little bit of a twisting motion. And if you get hung up at all, I do the same thing you do is I reach back and grab that wire and slide that wire back and forth and make sure it's still not kinked and it's in good position. And if it is, then I just work with it a little bit back and forth on that dilator, just very gently massaging it back and forth. And if you just do that lightly, typically things will pass. Now, one – One trick here is that that biggest venous dilator or actually the last dilator in both the venous and arterial lines often do get hung up on fascia. So one little side tip is while that dilator is in, you're talking about the last, the third dilator, the last dilator before you put in the cannulas, that dilator, if it gets hung up, you can take a Kelly, a curved mosquito clamp, pass it down along the top, the the surface of the line that's facing the ceiling and pass that down almost to where that's kind of hub. You think it's right above the vessel, and then you do a blunt dissection. You just open that up and pull back, and that usually tears that bit of fascia right there just enough to allow that dilator to pass.
0: That's a fantastic tip. All right, so now let's say you've now made it to the point of that first pop through fascia, and now you're waiting for that second bit of resistance getting into the vessel. How much further do you go with your dilator? How much into the vessel itself do you dilate?
1: I personally hub the dilators. And then bring them back out. It just gives me reassurance that I'm in the right place and and things are moving sm- smoothly. And with the atherosclerosis of these people in these in these vessels, it's sometimes nice to know before you put in these huge ECMO cannulas that you've got a good play inside that vessel. So I hub the whole thing and bring it all the way back out.
0: Do you do it just once for each dilator, or do you do multiple dilations with each dilator?
1: It's a really good question. I. Usually do just one if it's really passing smoothly, but the, you know, you do, there are all those ones that you pass it in and it just you feel a little bit of resistance, and so I will sometimes slide that dilator back and forth just to create a nice groove in there uh, to hopefully give me better success.
0: All right. Now, again, since we're in the ideal world, you're going to take that dilator out after you've done a few passes or you're happy with it, and your partner will take it off the wire and put on the next step of dilator until you've done all three dilations. What are you doing to control the bleeding while they're doing that for you?
1: just number one, no, these, this is bloody and you only have a little wire into a vessel that's dilated, especially the arterial side and blood is, it's, it's a bloody procedure. They're not in the, in the, in the several minutes it's going to take you to do these dilators and put in the cannulas. They're not going to bleed to death. But you can only do what you can do. So again, what I'm usually doing is taking a pack of 4x4s in my left hand, applying as much pressure as I can over that hole where the wire is going through while I'm using my right hand to pass each dilator in as we talked about and then passing the cannula in. But that's about all you can do to my knowledge.
0: Is it worth actually positioning yourself distal on the venous side because that's where most of the blood's going to be coming?
1: I, I don't know what your experience has been. Mine hasn't been. I can usually have my left hand – I'm usually right – I'm standing perpendicular to the patient's groin, and my left hand is, is uh, how do you, my fingers are pointed towards the patient's toes with a pack of uh, 4x4s in my hand, and I'm holding pressure right there as my right hand is passing the dilator in sort of from the feet down towards the groin, if that makes sense.
0: Yep, it totally makes sense. So essentially, if your fingers are splayed a little bit wide enough, you can get inflow and outflow direct pressure while are yeah. changing those dilators for you. All right, you've done three dilations. You're feeling really good now. Now you're ready to actually put on the uh, cannula itself with its own internal dilator because there is a dilator sitting inside the cannula. Now, for reasons I don't understand, Joe, they do not lock together. So how do you, how do you not screw this part up?
1: Uh, the cannulas that we use have a rubber stopcock on the back side of the cannula so that and that stopcock is a, it's like a, it's, not, it's a it's a it's a gripper that goes onto the cannula the back of the cannula itself the the part that you're going to ultimately connect to the egmo tubing and that stopcock has a hole in the center of it that will hold to some degree the inner dilator uh, into that vessel. But the problem is that's not, you're right, it's not locked together. Now, that's with the Medtronic cannulas that we're using. I've just looked at the new McKay cannulas, and those cannulas do have a little lock mechanism that's way better. And so we're going to start trialing those as well. Um, But the ones we're using now, are. you're absolutely right. There is not a locking mechanism, which means, right, that as you're passing that Inner dilator, which has the cannula on embedded onto it, or the inner dilator is inside the cannula, and you're passing that into the vessel. If there's any resistance, that inner dilator can push out and come free from the from the cannula that, that you're trying to place.
0: Okay, so you're holding those together as you're passing it up, and you know we we should take a step back for just one second. How hmm. are you choosing what size arterial cannula you're using?
1: So. In adults, we're, the way that we do it is we um, it's it's a it's a bit of a judgment call on the spot, and most of the adults that we see are going to be um, older, bigger um, men. And so, as a general rule of thumb, this is just the biggest uh, biggest tip you can take. I ask for the biggest venous line and the biggest arterial line you have on on the cart that they bring. So the the ECMO team comes down with this ECMO cart that has all of the supplies that you need. And that's going to include a, an array of different cannulas. And if we're talking about the usual 250-pound male, I just get the biggest ones I can. You're going to get the best flow through those two cannulas. You don't want to mess with dealing with RPM issues down the road and chatter and all the things we'll talk about later. Um, the biggest cannulas you can get in the, are best. And I just ask for the two biggest ones.
0: All right. So, well, I mean, there are uh, a huge range out there. In general, your arterial lines will be either a 17 or a 19. Is that's that right. And the
1: the Venus is usually a 21. If I can get a 21, that's usually ideal.
0: Fair enough. Now, if you had in front of you a 50-kilogram female, would you choose the smaller end?
1: Yeah, I probably would. Uh, So that's where some judgment comes into play. I would not put the—obviously, the the smaller the caliber of the cannula you're putting in, the easier it's going to go in somebody who's smaller. And that's the reason they have— different size cannulas, right? So um, yeah, I would put in a smaller one, and I wouldn't go to the smallest size, uh, say a 19 French, uh, or a eight, maybe a 17 to 19 French, somewhere in there, uh, Venus, venous, and then a uh, f- say a 15 French, 16 French arterial.
0: Fair enough, okay, so now we're at the point where we're actually putting that arterial catheter in, and on the arterial side, you're just gonna hub it, correct?
1: Yep, yep, because remember, that's, that's the shorter of the two lines, and it just needs to go up into the either the iliac iliac artery or into the distal portion of the uh, of the aorta.
0: Fair enough. Now, if we switch over to venous, because you're going to do the same steps uh, pretty much up until this point where you're placing the venous cannula in, how do you know how deep to go in on the venous cannula?
1: That's a great question, and we're going to try and get into some of the tips and tricks on that later as well. But this is tough, right? Because you don't, and your adrenaline is flowing, and you are amped up and you're about to put somebody on cardiopulmonary bypass and you're, you're, your heart's racing. And so the inclination is to hub the venous side and the problem there, and I've done this myself, the problem there is that you're going to hub the venous side but you're also going to be putting the tip of that cannula into the right atrium and burying the tip of the cannula there. So what we do is it's another estimation but it's sort of like when you're going to put in a, um, a pacing wire, you, you estimate sort of the distance. Um, from the patient's groin up into where you think the right atrium is. You can do this under ultrasound guidance, but people are usually getting CPR at this point. So that's not really a possibility. So we estimate that distance and then I pass the venous line in until I think I'm there and then we then troubleshoot whether or not we're in the right place a number of different ways. But one of the easiest ways to do that is just hook them up to the, to the circuit at that point and see what kind of flow you have. And if you've got decent flow, you're good to go at least for the next 30 minutes to get them where they need to go, where you can confirm placement.
0: Fair enough. And if you had to just do a visual measuring on the patient, you could kind of lay it out to their groin from their inguinal crease to their center line and then up around to the level of the xiphoid. That's going to get you pretty close to where you want to go.
1: Yeah, that's right. And if you err a little bit shy or a little bit short, you're probably better off than erring a little bit more distal because if you hub that distal tip of the venous cannula into the right atrium, you're not going to get good flow and that's probably not good medicine right there.
0: Fair enough. Now... Uh, What we should have said before is once you've gotten that arterial cannula in, now you need to take out the dilator and the wire. And you can't actually, surprisingly enough, screw up this part too. So what are your tips for that portion, Joe?
1: So, yeah, this is a great question. So as you you have the inner dilator inside of the arterial cannula, the venous cannula is going to be the same, but the arterial one is more important because if you can imagine, you now have have a 17, 19 French, Line in the femoral artery. And if you just pull that dilator out, you just now got a gunshot wound to the groin and it's hemorrhaging on you. So, and blood will hit the back wall. So, the trick there is you're going to have these clamps that are uh, sort of like a mosquito, but it's got blunt tips on the uh, w- w- that are going to grab the line. It's a line clamp. They're, they're,
0: re- they're non-marring. They won't destroy the actual uh, the, the line itself. And there's actually portions of the ECMO catheters that are specifically made for the clamping. They're a little bit reinforced, and they say clamp here.
1: Wow, you have those? I don't have those uh <laughs> don't say clamp here but i need we need that now so the, i'm just, uh, just drawing Ma- on it with a sharpie the mckay do ah so i got to take a look at those i did not see that you you've got me again my friend yeah so what we're doing is we're taking the wire out the wire comes out finger goes over the hole where the wire was that goes gets put aside then we're taking the clamp and placing it over the cannula but not clamping it yet and then you start to draw out the inner dilator, the inner trocar dilator. You start drawing that out to the point that you can, the, the tip of that dilator, you can see inside the cannula just outside of the skin. And you can see a wall of blood sitting there, bright red blood getting ready to explode out the back of that cannula. And then you, in a one brief motion, you're going to take that dilator out quickly and clamp the, the, the line immediately.
0: So that's the key tip on that one. You have to remove the wire first before you try to take out the dilator. Uh, and clamp, or else you'll be clamping with the wire in there. You'll have to unclamp. It's going to be a huge mess. So take the wire out, put your finger over the hole. Then as you're pulling the dilator, just as it passes your clamp, you clamp the cannula. That is perfect. Now, I think at this point, we've completed most of stage two. I think we're going to leave stage three and actually hooking up the machine uh, for another episode. Joe, is there anything final you'd like to add about the uh, cognitive task analysis of stage one and stage two? Did
1: you want to uh, – did you just want to put the cannulas to get to – just, just hook the tubing up real quick well, just to finish off sort of stage three and then leave pump stuff for later? Or do you want to just leave it where we're at right now, just cannulization?
0: I, I think we'll, we'll stop there. I think sure. we have plenty to process because we have all sorts of fun issues to talk about with air embolism and everything else for the stage three portion. Sure. All right. Okay. Yep, that sounds good. This was fantastic. This was Scott Weingart and – Joe Belezzo. For ED ECMO. Your source for all things resuscitative ECMO and eCPR.